the body keeps score. Yeah. And so why are we looking in the mind if it's in the body? Right? The talk therapy is not where, I mean, it helps. Language is a very important human gift. But if you disconnect it from the context of the ground, which I call the rhythm section of the cosmic snowman, right? That ground is our connection to nature, to each other, to the intentions of, you know, the room. How many kids have I had who walk into the room and before they can engage in a conversation with you, they have to actually feel comfortable in the room and examine it and explore it. And the parents are saying, say hello to Dr. Cowan. I said, no, no, let him just wander around and feel the room. Yeah. Context. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. This is part two of our conversation with Dr. Stephen Cowan. Make sure you listen to part one. This is a longer episode. Why? Because there was so much good information that we just wanted to share this with you. Dr. Stephen Cowan is a pediatrician, a developmental pediatrician, but he's also, he's wise, he's present, curious, and he over delivers. So we are super excited to be sharing this with you. And if you're a visual learner like I am, make sure you check out our show notes. There is a copy of your own Cosmic Snowman so you can follow along and best understand this conversation. Now, the secret this week is the Cosmic Snowman is the roadmap. The space between us matters. The energy between us, the air, your connection to all of the field of the rhythm section of the body that I like to explain to everybody. Where the trauma is, is in the body. This is Peter Levine's work. Yep. You know, where the body keeps score. Yep. And so why are we looking in the mind if it's in the body? Right? The talk therapy is not where, I mean, it helps. Language is a very important human gift. But if you disconnect it from the context of the ground, which I call the rhythm section of the cosmic snowman, right? That ground is our connection to nature, to each other, to the intentions of, you know, the room. How many kids have I had who walk into the room and before they can engage in a conversation with you, they have to actually feel comfortable in the room and examine it and explore it. And the parents are saying, say hello to Dr. Cowan. I said, no, no, let him just wander around and feel the room. Yeah. Context. Yeah, in so many ways, it always comes back to the terrain, right? Terrain. In, in, on so many levels. Terrain and the energy. Ter and when we talk about the rhythm section of that terrain and energy, we're talking about five things. So at the top, if everybody who's listening imagines a circle, 
the bottom of a snowman, three circles, biggest circle of a snowman has to be the bottom, right? If you put the big circle on the top, it falls over. It's not stable. So we're talking about the terrain when we talk about that foundation. So at 12 o'clock is sensing, which is just a rhythm, vibrations, sensing the world, looking, listening, tasting, touching. And what's supposed to happen in your brainstem is all that information is supposed to come in and merge. So you're getting multi-sensory input that makes kind of sense. We say it makes sense. So looking and listening need to be coordinated. It's not just looking or just listening. And these vibrations of your space, when they merge, give you a sense of security. So yeah, we're talking about 12 o'clock on this circle, which is the reptilian brain, our terrain, our terrestrial existence, right? The ground floor of our snowman, of our neurologic system, sensing a connection to the room, to the space you're in, to the terrain. And what we want to do is understand those sensory integration, we'll call it, for lack of a better word. The second at two o'clock is eating. And what I call that is the sense of fullness. Susan Johnson's done all the research on that. Kids who can tell when they're half full feel safer in their body, heal trauma, pay attention better, retain information better. Yeah, it's funny because Rye will tell us, you know what? I'm finished eating now because I have room still left for dessert. So yeah, he yeah. Like, like he has that gauge. That's, but I remember when he didn't have that gauge. Right, mm-hmm. I do too. He would eat, you know, basically like a, a puppy and just keep either not, not realizing he's hungry, which is not knowing he's empty, or eating beyond full you know, or, you know, nervous eating or emotional eating. You know, these are very common symptoms we see in all of these syndromes we're talking about that start with the letter A when you're ungrounded. And, you know, so Susan Johnson's amazing research on kids and eating, she has an eating lab, is just wonderful because you're looking at how to engage what we call interoception. Interoception is paying attention to your insides. If you guys close your eyes right now and check in on, and this is a game anybody can play with their kids, and check in on your stomach and say on a scale of one to 10, how full is it right now? And don't go by what it should be. Go by what it feels. What do you got? Six. About a three. Good. So what you're doing is activating this ground floor of the cosmic snowman. And you're actually helping your child ground himself. Simple game. The next is at five o'clock, breathing and pooping, which is how we, what they have in common is how we let go of stuff. The sense of letting go, which in fancy terms, we'd say detoxing. Stuff you don't need. Extra baggage that you've been carrying. The best way to help a kid who's stressed out is to get him to exhale nice and slow. It's not about take a breath. It's about give a breath. And what you're giving a breath to is the room. Breathing room. Mm -hmm. 
the environment, the terrain. You know, I call it basketball breathing sometimes. You take two, make two fists, breathe into your stomach, and then blow out nice and slow and open your fist. Where you see a basketball star about to do a free shot, and he'll bounce a few times and then puff out his cheeks and blow out before he takes a shot. It helps him ground himself to focus. He'll get the basket. Really simple thing that you can practice not when it's an emergency so that when you need it for an emergency, you can easily get that extra intense fight or flight energy out of your system, regroup, ground yourself, and then deal with whatever the uncomfortable situation you're in. And the same with pooping. Why do we see in kids on the spectrum so many GI complaints? It's not just that they have yeast. Yeast grows there because it's a perfect place for it to grow because the rhythm section of the gut is completely screwed up. And that is because the fight or flight system is undermining the natural rhythm. There is no time for the rhythm to be set about holding and letting go. And so you get inflammation in the gut. Secondarily to this vagus nerve dysfunction, right? Yep. At seven o'clock is sleep, the most fundamental cosmic rhythm of sleep-wake cycle, the circadian rhythm. And all the research on ADD on, that's come out in the last 15 years has shown that kids outgrow their ADD when their sleep-wake cycle improves and matures. Multi-system research that came out of Europe really showed this. First of all, it was dramatic that it showed kids outgrow their ADD. That goes against what you and I were taught about fixed mind thinking about. Here's your label, go in peace, which is nonsense. But doesn't that circadian rhythm go against the normal school hours, right? Because goes against, can... exactly. Goes against normal school hours. We create crazy teenagers yeah. because we make them go to school before they're awake. You know, a, a teenager, if you look at a natural teenager out in farmland a hundred years ago, first of all, teenagers got about 12 hours sleep because there was no electricity. Right. You had candles. It was boring. You went to sleep. You had to get up early to milk the cows anyway. But so the health of, you know, sleep is when we consolidate memory of what happened during the day in a healthy way. We do what Rye was trying to teach me when he came on the screen just before. We connect the dots. That's the teachable moment he gave me just now, that he's excited to show me something. First of all, recognize that the home run of outgrowing autism is when a kid comes to you and shows you something he's interested in. So true. Because when you look at ADOS, you know, the framework for diagnosing autism, if you really examine that evaluation tool in between the lines, it's all about, is he showing someone else what he's engaged in? Look, mommy, this is cool, isn't it? Look how cool this is. That takes you out of the diagnosis. But how many times are we teaching that? To you know, show me what you did it so beautifully. You said, show them what you've got. Go, you know, and I did it in my house call just now with you guys. 
show me something you really like. Show me something that's important to you in your house. I can't do that in my office. But when I do this Zoom call and I can ask him to go see, you know, show me something that you think is really cool. I'll show you my dinosaur I've got here. It's so great because you're taking someone out of the box of autism in that moment. So sleep cycles, knowing when you're tired, allowing those melatonin levels to go up naturally, not just by giving melatonin, but just by helping to induce it. And there are lots of tricks to do that. You know, the two most fundamental ways physiologically melatonin levels go up? Tell me. I have guesses, but tell me. (laughs) One is the temperature has to get cooler. The second is the lighting has to get bluer and... You know, the wavelength of the light has to shift. So it's not just turning the lights off. (laughs) Okay, time to go to sleep. It's the gradual shift that allows, you know, melatonin levels to be signaled, right? So, you know, this kind of blue light shift from the orange wavelengths of the morning. Watching a sunset taking time with your kid to watch a sunset stimulates melatonin. Yep. Everything we do is designed around creating that environment before bed. So no blue screens. We have our light bulbs. We have red and orange lights throughout the house. And we do all that before going to bed just to set our kids up for success. Exactly. And, And what you're doing is playing in the space between. That's terrestrial, that's terrain, right? That's not this weird extraterrestrial phenomenon. You know, Thomas Edison was one of my heroes growing up, but now I'm wondering, he messed everything up. Because <laughs> you, you could stay up all night. It's, it's true. Now, do you know Thomas Edison's sleep cycle? Do you know how he slept? No. He never slept. He did 20-minute cat naps 24 hours a day. He would also put something on his body so that when he fell into REM sleep, you know, he would be, it would fall off of him and it would wake him up. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he was living a manic life and that's okay. He was a genius and I love geniuses, but I'm not sure it was healthy for the ground floor system, mm-hmm. right? In terms of integrating the way indigenous people do to their, you know, to allowing the trees to speak to you and sing you to sleep. Or, you know, if you're living in an inner city, allowing you to open the windows to, you know, it's tricky because there are kids who don't have the luxury of nature around them. But it doesn't mean they can't walk to a park. Right. And that's when we were living in New York, like Rye's favorite place to be was standing in this, these bushes and that's where we would actually have the greatest connection with him yes, was exactly. in nature, in those bushes. That's right. Uh, because that was so important. Now, can I ask a question about the of snowman? Yeah. Because I, I love this idea because I feel like if you're the bottom circle, right, yeah. of a snowman, that reptile rhythm, if that is any way out of whack, so let's say the food might be more toxic or they're not necessarily pooping right and not or they're not eating when they're hungry right Mm. 
Like if you get that out of whack, you're not able to truly build a snowman. Correct. Because the foundation is um, imbalanced or shaky or wonky, whatever the word is. That not only is that perfectly said, what I want you to take it one step further and recognize that is the trauma. The trauma is in the body. This is body intelligence at the ground floor. The big circle of the snowman is body intelligence. The middle circle are our passions, our limbic system, our instant gratification of getting our needs met. It's our emotional brain. And it expresses whether or not our needs are being met in our environment, right? Whether we're connected to our environment in a healthy way. And so that's all the emotions are. That, I call that for kids the weather inside us, the weather channel. It's changing all the time. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're impulsive. Sometimes we're, we're exploring the outer world. So if we can't explore it, we get hostile. Sometimes we get you know, withdrawn because we're going deep into our deep spiritual centers. Sometimes that's our need. Sometimes our need is for order. And if that's disrupted because we're not connected to the environment, we get rigid and repetitive and weird, compulsive. And if we, our need is to share and we can't for whatever reason, right. because the environment isn't conducing to it, because you're not in the bush where you can connect, then we get worried and anxious or obsessive. Right. And so I just walked you around the 12 o'clock, two o'clock, you know, the same model, though, what I want you to see is that that connects to the ground floor. So eating and sharing are both at two o'clock. Breathing and pooping are at the order level of five o'clock. Sleep is about the inner exploring movement at 10 o'clock the proprioceptive aspect of the ground floor is the outer exploring above. And then sensing is about that excitement need, right? These are not accidentally organized here because they're built into a design that's very, very ancient. It's 3,000 years old. And then one, and just the way you said it, which was really beautiful, that if the ground floor isn't stabilized, you have trauma. And if you have this disconnect, which we can call autoism, something is not connected, you're out of whack, then the emotions are going to, our signal centers are going to express it. But if you're expressing it in the limbic system's passions, then the highest level of our spiritual development, the reason we humans evolved at the top, the little smiley face at the top of the snowman, which is our neocortex, our executive functions that sit on the top floor, our highest level of spiritual gifts, the reason we're here to be teachers, can't necessarily effectively transmit or make those connections. And those are, at 12 o'clock, a sense of celebration, of joy, joy to the world, right? It's not instant gratification, happy. I just want my kid to be happy. That's the road to opioids. It's a different kind of joy. It's a spiritual joy, or what I would call it is a sense of optimism. The ability when all hell's breaking loose in COVID to look on the bright side. That's fire in Chinese medicine. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. No, and I, I love this because it's also, it not only expresses what's necessarily going on with a child with a diagnosis with any of the A letters, like you've said, but this is also the work the parent truly needs to do to truly connect with their child. Because, you know, I know for us, the game changer was truly working on ourselves that to totally. support our child. And I feel like this is that roadmap for the parent too. Oh, there is no two. It is, the relationship is what we're healing here. So it's not, you're the problem, you need to be fixed, or the child's the problem. It's that the relationship is what we're working on here. So of course, you're part of the context. Right, no, but I think that's such a big, and I know we discovered this, but I think especially for listeners, like this is not, you're not, it's not just, you know, two different snowmans. That's that right. It's the intermingling. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Energies to bring this together, together. Beautifully said. Exactly right. And so at the top, if you line these up, and you'll share this picture with your listeners, if you line these things up, that fire at the top, which is the sense of optimism or the ability to look on the bright side. You know, during COVID, I've been writing a lot of songs. Um, they've just been coming through me. And one I'm, I wrote is called Silver Linings, you know, and it's about seeing the silver linings within this crazy moment of history that we're all in, where we're all uh, sequestered and we're forced to deal with our family. And some parents haven't actually been doing that. Everybody's been doing their own thing. You send the kid here and I go there and you go there and we'll meet for, you know, a half hour for dinner and that's it. And all of a sudden we're on top of each other and it's created a lot of amplified, uh, let's say it's shown a spotlight on where the fault lines are and what we haven't been working on as a family unit. Right. And so optimism is tell me something great that happened today. And if you go around the dinner table as part of your saying grace or, or whatever celebration of getting together at the dinner table is and just moving around to actually look on the bright side, what lights you up? You know, when I first started this conversation with you, I wanted to see Rye and so he could come in and see what lights you up in your house. Show me. And he came running instantly. He was on it. Now, let me show you this book that I've got. Lit up the screen, lit up the room, right? That's the fire part is what lights you up? Come on, baby, light my fire, right? So this is fire at 12 o'clock and in the middle, that becomes, if it needs not being met, you can't develop the optimism because you're so busy getting that, you become impulsive. It's overexcitement because you're, or you're complaining it's boring because you're not getting, you're not finding the ability to be lit up. And all the way down on the ground floor, you know that that's the sensory, things are not merging. The environment needs to shift so that you can then merge looking and listening or tasting and touching or smelling and feeling. Well, any of them, you know, this is where aromatherapy can just change a room. Simple things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I had a kid, they had a swimming pool and uh, they had moved out of the city because it was too overstimulating for their kid. And he wouldn't sit for speech therapy. 
I said, why don't you try, you know, I said, tell me the place where you can connect to him best. And they said, the swimming pool. I said, all right, let's see if the speech therapist can do her therapy in the swimming pool. And it was like a home run. Now, think of the resistance to the speech therapist. I was going to say, you have to have a kick-ass speech therapist for that. (laughs) But this is about the way we're trained to separate to break down those environmental, um, you know, we want to create those barriers. No, 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 I don't do that. You know, you have to come to my office to do the speech therapy. This is where we're doing harm before we're doing good. And, and that's not the Hippocratic oath, right. right? The second at two o'clock is empathy, earth's power, the sense of story. And what I mean by story is the narrative and the basic narrative of all stories. The fundamental narrative is beginning, middle and big finish. And always thinking about how you're delivering your story to someone else and how it's landing so that they get, you know, we are innate storytellers. The part that we want to teach kids on the spectrum because they've got the stories. It's just jumbled up. They give you the punchline before they tell you the setup of the joke, right? And so you want to teach them the sequence of the story because it matters to the person receiving the story. That's empathy, caring about the other. And empathy changes the way you pay attention. So for the kids who have outgrown their autism, but now are left with ADD symptoms, which is very common, because they're so charged at being in the world, they're focused, hyper-focused. You get them to find the beginning. Set the stage for me, buddy, before you tell, jump into the story. Set the stage. I need the, I need the who and the where and the when before you tell me the how and the why. And then tell me the how in the middle. How's it playing out? And don't forget the why at the end. Why is this story important? Which is the big finish, the punch. This is empathy because you're caring enough to tell the story in a way that the other person gets it. But understand, if you go down to the, the middle, to the puppy brain, the limbic system, that's about sharing. And when it's not happening, when you don't feel like the person is getting what the narrator inside you is trying to express, you get worried and frantic and obsessive. And then you tell the same story over and over again, and it kind of gets annoying for someone else hearing it because they're not reading the room. Reading the room could be the theme for this talk we're having. Mm -hmm. That's the terrestrial. That's living on the ground floor. That's eating. That's that sense of fullness. Am I overloading daddy by telling him this story about Tyrannosaurus Rex 50 times? Have I stuffed him? Mm -hmm. I've overfed somebody. I'm not reading the room or I'm not recognizing I'm full. So I want you to see how they link up because this is the five element model that goes back to, you know, pre-Han dynasty China. And it was, oh, if you look in multicultures around the world to Africa, South America, Native American culture, this is just how you grow plants. These are the seasons, these are the times of the day, right? Earth is the harvest. How you ripen a story for the listener so it's a really sweet story. 
That's the top. That's the executive function at the top. But it's about empathy. Then we get to five o'clock at the top, which is grace. The word I use is grace. And I, you know, when was the last time a doctor talked to you about grace? And the next time you talk to your doctor, ask him, hey, doc, what does grace mean to you? And it's going to sound like it's out of left field and they're going to think you're nuts or some religious zealot or something. But we're not. We're talking about, well, what does it mean to you guys? What's grace under fire? Power. And poise. Is where poise. Staying James Bond cool, even though all hell's breaking loose, right? I taught this to interns in the ERs of how to ground yourself before you walk in a room. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved the concept that I heard, I don't know, I think it was like a year ago, but the whole idea of having that 360 degree perspective. Yes. Able, the ability to go into a room and kind of realize, okay, and be able to kind of spin your head so you can kind of analyze everything that's going on. Okay. So, yeah. so this is, that is definitely grace for me. Also, gracias, gratitude is grace. Merci, mercy is grace. Grace periods, forgiveness periods. These are all sacred grace. And then you have sort of the grace of God, which is that the for- there's a force in the universe that's got my back, right? There's a sacredness that your guys are describing here. This is all the gold power, what I call the gold power. And if you look all the way down at the bottom on the ground floor, this is about breathing and pooping. What? How can that be, right? Toilet training is a religious exercise. Knowing when to let it go. Mm -hmm. Knowing when to hold on to it. Knowing what to hold on to and when to let it go is a sacred rhythm. The same is true, and I would do this with interns in the hospital, like a meditation, before they walked into a room where some kid was really, 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 really sick, I make them take three breaths. And when I mean that, it means give three breaths to the space. Let go of all of your own crap to be present for the person at hand. Because if you don't do that in the middle, in the emergency brain, the limbic system, you get stuck in your own sense of order, rigidity. And you've met doctors like that, that are stuck on, they've already made up their mind what you've got before they've even talked to you. Then it's ungrounded. That's not grace anymore. And then we get to seven o'clock, and which is, you know, on the ground floor circadian rhythms, and in the middle it's that withdraw the inner exploring, but at the top it's the sense of mystery, or better yet, reading between the lines, inference or metaphor. How is this conversation that we're having right now like some other conversation you guys have had in your life? Connect the dots that you can't see. That's hard, right? Because it's really kind of a game of mystery. The the way I play it with kids to teach it is I take two objects, randomly two objects in a room, and I ask Rye, tell me three ways they're the same. Simple game. But what you're doing is growing that muscle of inference. This is water power, deep, introspective, finding meaning in the invisible. And the better you get at it, the more poetic you get in your life. 
and living a life. Poetry matters. You know, it sort of seems like fluff in our modern day, but, you know, metaphor heals. Every trauma that anybody's ever had expresses itself in metaphors over and over and over. And kids, you know, I'll give you a good example. Kid came to me many years ago. I still see them. And we have a beautiful bond over Star Wars. The father and the mother are obsessed with Star Wars. And the boy is nonverbal. And I've taken care of him from a very young age. And uh, Star Wars has become a metaphor for the healing of everybody in the family. And I remember years ago, you know my train table on my, in my office. Oh, you've, yes. <laughs> you've experienced that big train yeah, table. Yeah, many times. Anyway, he came in one day and we were talking and the boy was on the floor lining up the trains and he would run them and then throw one off track, you know, just crash. And then he'd set them all up and then do it again, set it up all again. And I'm talking to the parents and, you know, I have this habit of talking. And while I'm talking, I'm also watching what the child is doing. And while without breaking my connection with you, I'm narrating what he's doing. This is a thing I've learned to do just after 37 years of working with kids. And I said, don't lose, stay with me, but watch what he's doing. There's a metaphor that he's playing out of his life. What do you think it is? And the father was very analytic and he said, well, I don't know. What do you mean? He's stuck. He said, well, yeah, more than that. Go poetic on me. Free up, you know, guys don't like to do that. It feels kind of weird, but try to free up your mind enough to go a little poetic. And he finally got it. He said, he keeps going off track and has to get back on and start from the beginning. And this is part of his autism at the time. He can't move to step C because he keeps going off track at B. So he has to start back at A. So it became a metaphor for the healing. And that's how trauma expresses itself. This is water. But if you go all the way down to the ground floor, that's sleep. And you, as Jung knew, you know, we solve a lot of our, you know, we make these invisible connections through the dreams we have. And when a child can start recounting his dreams to you, the healing is taking place. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So the one big thing for us is when we started doing Sunrise with Rai, we, he then, he used to be a sleeper, slept by himself, everything was fine. And then during when we did that, and we actually had such a true connection point, he ended up sleeping in our bed and he mm -hmm. ended up being there for a few years, mm -hmm. four years, and he would always have to sleep touching us. Yeah. And we always felt like this was part of his healing and part of his safety. A hundred percent. Okay. Cause I feel like this, that's kind of that ability to have that connection. Cause I know a lot of parents that I talk to will complain about their children coming into their bed. And our experience was that was creating that safety and that connection. So he was able to kind of get out of reptile and move up the snowman. Correct. Um, and okay. And not only, uh, I think, I love that you're bringing it up that way, and it really shows the work and the journey you guys have been on, because you're, 
I see this all the time and I have to unpack it with parents where they say, this is a problem. I think he's regressing. We started this therapy and now he just wants to sleep with us. And I said, wait, no, that's actually, if you look at the model that I'm laying out with the cosmic snowman is an evolutionary model. We were all reptiles and then we evolve into mammals and then we become Neolithic beings, right? This is the evolution on the planet. It's within us, even as babies, when you have a one-month-old, they're blobs. They are like little Yoda lizards, you know, down at the bottom. They are just ground floor. And then by the time they're two, they've developed that wild puppy behavior that we call the terrible twos, where they're barking all the time. We call it temper tantrums, but that's all they're doing. And then we are expecting the neocortical connections to start emerging up above. But yes, exactly the way you said it, those deep connections, the physical sensing down at the ground floor at fire level is what you were witnessing when you activated a healthier context. Yeah. And then sleep shifted because then he was actively dreaming and that's very alarming to kids. So, so naturally what's supposed to happen in a four-month-old baby, that didn't happen for Ryan. What's supposed to happen is around four, five, or six months, and let's be careful not to go into why. Okay, not going there. Is this idea that in the myelinization of the neocortex at the highest level of the brain, as the re baby reflexes are supposed to be integrated, the Moreau startle reflex and the fear paralysis and the asymmetric tonic neck reflex and the Palmer grasp. And all there's like 12 of these very amazing primitive reflexes that helped us survive the womb. And they're a sign of myelinization hasn't yet happened. Myelinization is for me a miracle. The, the cells grow around the, the nerves to insulate them. And so that you can have this kind of graduated expression. It's a more efficient way of using your nervous system, making connections and breaking, weaning, you know, uh, pruning. Anyway, when that starts kicking in somewhere between four and five months, you start dreaming in little clips. Before that, it's all dream. Row, row, row your boat. Life is but a dream before that. But as you move into this stage, you're supposed to have these little kind of episodes and then come out of it and wake up to make sure everything is the same as it was when you went to sleep. This is very primitive, very old, 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 when we were living in caves to make sure no animals were coming to eat us. Right. And then if it's all exactly the same, you feel safe in your body, you surrender back in. And so what you were witnessing with sunrise was that kicked in. You, the myelinization process was taking place because you were dealing with healing the space between. And all of a sudden, he's myelinating and waking. He was creating episodes and then coming out and going, what? Wait, where? This isn't where I... Daddy was lying with me when I went to sleep. I need daddy. Right. Which is actually a healthy thing a sign of progress and what we in our weird you know model of the way i was trained as a pediatrician 
we demonize that as regression. You, you know, that's a problem. Just put him back in his room and don't go in, you know, and it's actually missing the point, right. <laughs> which right. is about connection. And then the last of these five great executive functions may be equally important. So we've gone around the clock, fire, 12, earth, empathy, two, gold, grace at five, water, inference, or metaphor at seven. At 10 o'clock is wood power. And wood is, you know, springtime energy. It's drive it's the capacity at the highest level of executive function. It's one of the great human qualities of seeing the future. It's like a Jedi power to be able to see the future. And we are masters of that. It's how we survived the ice age because the Neanderthal didn't put food away for the winter, but we can do that. We can make a plan and have a backup plan. You know, Len emailed me and he said, oh, we're going to try this thing. But then on the backup plan, we have this other model that we're going to use. This is wood power. It's looking ahead because he wants this to be good. And he's covering his bases, we call it, right? Just in case. And this takes immense power to be able to say, and one of the curious things that I want your listeners to be pay attention to here is that I'm seeing a trend in the last 10 years for sure, 15 maybe. I wasn't paying attention to it 15 years ago because I wasn't evolved yet myself. But certainly 10 years ago, I started tracking this. And that is uh, kids are losing the capacity to envision. It does it for you. You don't have to envision what Harry Potter looks like. You just watch the movie. Right. No, and that's where, you know, something that we're working on with Rye is he has all these many things that come into his mind, but the idea of kind of, okay, let's write down what your vision for that next movie is. Yeah. Because he has, you know, what Roger Rabbit 2 would be like. So I'm like, all right, so let's bring that to fruition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Write that screenplay. But before you even write it, what I want you to do is to get him to close his eyes and see the movie run in his head in sequence with backup plans. Cool. And so the way this is tricky, I'm actually actively training kids to do this now. It's like storyboarding in your head, but when you're used to doing it, having it done for you, you, it sort of goes to sleep. You don't exercise that muscle. Now look down in the middle, that's that hostile, impatient, aggressive behavior that we often see with some kids because they, it's the urgency, you know, you can't, it can't happen fast enough because you're not seeing the steps, the instant. And then all the way down at the bottom, you get the hyperactivity or the proprioceptive problems, or you get the, you know, spatial stuff thrown off. Now, I'm going to tell you a story because, you know, I'm an earthy guy. And so I'm a storyteller. And it translates more this way. When I was a boy, I wouldn't read. I refused to read. And it drove my father and mother crazy because my father was a painter. My mother was a poet. 
And, you know, he was the art director of the New York Times and they were avid readers. My sister was a reader and I refused to crack a book. Now, I liked being outside in the woods, you know, even though we were on a small community in Long Island, I would be climbing trees and hiding there and doing all kinds of weird things. You know, my ADD was blossoming and, um, my father was at his wit's end. He would bring home books and, and I just would, they wouldn't do it, you know, reading specialists, nothing. One day at his wit's end, I was a boy scout and he had talked to the, the scout master and said, is there anything you think you could do? And he said, well, yeah, there are these two Native American guys that teach this. And he said, what do you mean? my father, who was a very creative guy, an out-of-the-box fire type. And he said, well, every Saturday morning, he takes these loser kids who aren't reading, like me, and he takes them out into the woods to learn to track animals. And my father thought that was cool, and I thought that was great. So every Saturday morning for about a year, I would meet with two other weird kids, you know, quote, dyslexic kids, and we would learn these kids, these guys were very cool. They were a little sketchy. You know, I don't know in this day and age whether I would do that with my kids. But, <laughs> but at the time, my father, it didn't matter. And so we'd go. And it wasn't like big woods on Long Island. It was like, you know, dumping areas where, you know, they're, they haven't built, you know, suburban houses yet. And they would teach us how to go low down to the ground, look at something, come out. And I'll never forget this. One guy never spoke. He just, we were supposed to copy what he did. The other guy spoke to me and it was very, what is that movie? Uh, you know, wash on, wash off. Oh yeah. Um, oh, Karate Kid. Karate Kid. It was very Karate Kid. And, and so what he did, he said to me, one day, if you're really serious about this, you will see the animal in your mind before you see the animal. And I thought that was like, whoa. I didn't really believe him. We all thought he was crazy, but we thought it was cool. And so six months in, every Saturday morning, we're doing this, and we're going low, and then we're coming out. Now, remember, the way to pay attention when you're tracking is this is important for everybody who's tr having trouble with their kid focusing. You don't stay like a laser beam. That's not focus. Focus is a twofold process of flexibility and focus. So first, and this plays into, Len, what you and I were talking about, you come in close and then you come out and get the lay of the land and then you come back in. Then you come back out, take the lay, you know, take a few steps forward. So I'm doing this thing and they're checking me out and I stop. And the guy says, what? Tell me what you see. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, what do you mean? He said, what do you see in your mind? Close your eyes. And I thought, uh, I don't know. And he said, no, you know, before it leave, before you lose the vision, tell me what you see. And it almost felt like I was making it up, but I'm a visual guy. And I said, well, I, I think I see like a black cat. And he said, any markings on the cat? And they're really excited. I said, uh, it looks like he has a white paw, you know, like that. I said it like that. And they take off into the woods. And we go chasing after them. And about 10 minutes later, there up in a tree is a black cat with a white paw. The next day I could read. 
and I never stopped reading. Amazing. That's phenomenal. I love that. That's evidence-based medicine. Well, and it's when we, you know, working with the clients that we do, like that whole visualization of what they want for their child is so important because it's really, you know, what are you going after and putting that stake in the ground so that you intention. can visualize it, that intention, exactly. Because I know how powerful that's been for me, for us, and just ha- setting that intention is so, so I start empowering. every Zoom session now, and I was telling you before how, you know, I've got this privilege now, the silver linings of COVID is that I get to visit people's homes all around the world now. It expanded my practice. I thought it was going to contract. And the first thing I start with everybody, every new patient, every family, is what's your high goal for your kid? And when they say, I just want them to be happy, I call them on it right then and there. I say, hold on. Happy is an emotion. You can't make the weather your goal. Because if you do that, that's California right now. Everybody wants a sunny day and look what's happening. Mm. So you don't want to, weather is changing all the time. You don't want to make an emotion a goal. So I bring them back and we start again. What's your, touch your heart. Get out of your head and in your heart and feel what is it that you really see that you want for your child, just the way you said it. And eventually, we get to this Neolithic mind at the top of the snowman. One of those, two of those, three, we want them all, which is just self-awareness, which is love. You know, the whole snowman, when it's working together, is love. And when this is activated, whether it's grace or empathy or optimism or this ability to plan, to see the future, to, to actually envision it the way you're doing with your clients beautifully, to setting an intention, setting a goal, which is confidence, right? And inference, the deeper meanings when you're making those deep connections and how this metaphor, then your life is fulfilled. Thanks so much for listening to Autism Parenting Secrets. If you're not already subscribed to this podcast, be sure to do that right now. And if you could, please rate and review this podcast. This will help other parents find us and benefit as well. And feel free to let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Also, head over to AutismParentingSecrets.com and take our free assessment to discover your top superpowers today. Until next time, don't forget, you are the superhero your child needs now.